Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So I love this idea of better, that, um, that things can be better, that we could do things in a better way, that we could be better. Um, I feel like as we come out of this season that we have been in for the last several months, that all of us are kind of looking ahead going, man, I really hope things can be better. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to talk about this idea that not just things that could be better, but maybe life and us and everything kind of around us, our community could be better than ever. And so I know that's a big promise. And so we're going to kind of unpack that over the next couple of weeks. But I mean, I really do think if you're like me, you have probably spent some time saying to yourself or asking yourself, uh, maybe even out loud sometimes, like there has to be a better way. Um, That's really what the internet is for me. That's what uh, Google and YouTube are. They are my, you know, better way search engines. You can ask my family who's down here in the front. Um, I spend all of my time trying to figure out how to grow a better lawn or how to hit a better, you know, high draw to a tucked pin that you can't get to on the golf course or how to smoke a better brisket. Like everything for me is it's just got to be better. But for me, where this really shows up is I have convinced myself that I can take on any home project. Like, any home project. There's not one too big. I mean, we can do it. And 90% of the time, these home projects end right, kind of right in the middle of the project with this phone call to my dad that goes kind of like this, where it's like, hey, dad, yeah, it's me. Yep, I'm good. Things great. Yep. Dad, I got to be honest. Like, I started this project, and there's got to be a better way, because this isn't working. Uh, This showed up a lot. If you were to rewind years ago, right after Laurie and I got married, uh, we decided, like any rational adult would, uh, to move 10 hours away from anybody that we knew. Uh, We didn't really own anything, and so we bought our first home. And we didn't just buy a normal home. We bought a 1940s bungalow that needed to be completely remodeled. I mean, floor to ceiling, everything had to go. And of course, like, we can do it because can do anything, right? And I mean, that was filled with there has to be a better way conversation. But uh, the one that stands out the most is I figured out how to do most things. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of work, a lot of trial and error. But probably the thing that would surprise you the most is this house was covered with ancient wallpaper that I could not get off, like could not figure out a way to get this stuff off. And finally, somebody said, hey, there's a better way to do that. You hire somebody and they will do it for you. And if you hire the right somebody, they will come in and they will apply this small coat of something all over the walls and you'll be able to paint right over it, problem solved. Well, this sounds amazing. So I bite, I wish I hadn't, and I hired this person. And the first clue that there was a problem was that this person uh, could not work except from like midnight to 4 a.m. And so I had to meet them there because we weren't living in the house at the time. And then I had to give them a key to the house. So they had full access to this house. And I remember showing back up the next day And whatever this product that they were supposed to apply to the walls, well, they had applied it everywhere but the walls. I mean, it was all over the place. I thought, well, I'll give them another night. So the next night, like I show up and as I'm walking back into the master 
bedroom there, I walk in just in time to see this guy put a hole in the wall that is like the size of a basketball. And he can see the horror on my face. He's like, hey, don't worry about it. This is how it works. And he takes this slurry of stuff and just starts cramping it like into this hole, like that's gonna do anything. And I mean, I am freaking out. And I'm like, there has to be a better way than this. And I got rid of them. And I remember sitting down on the front porch and I'm like literally about to cry. And I dialed that number. I waited for that voice. I'm like, hey, dad. Yeah, it's me, so I've done it again. <laughs> there has to be a better way than this because this isn't working. And that's us, right? Like we get into something, we try something, we try to figure something out, and all the time we're like, hey, there has to be a better way. All of us, we long for things to be better. We want better careers. We're constantly on the look for a better career. Uh, we want better marriages. Um, we want better spouses. We want more out of our spouse. We want to make better grades. We are coming out of this season where it feels like everything's been turned upside down. And so we're all in the process now of looking for new and better habits so that we can be you know, the better version of us. And we're all trying to figure out how we can become better. I think, I think we've kind of become obsessed with this idea of better, actually. And there was this famous psychologist who actually put some really cool language to this, and it's called, um, his name was Abraham Maslow, and he actually called it Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And so to kind of help you understand this drive that is in all of us for things to be better or for us to be better, I want to zoom in on this, there it goes, on this uh, uh, pyramid right here, because this is how Maslow describes what's happening in all of us. He says, basically, we all have needs, right? We have fundamental, like, physiological needs, things like food, water, and shelter. And for a long time, that's what we wanted. That's what we needed. But once those needs were met, because of how we're wired, it wasn't enough. All of a sudden, once we had these needs met, we wanted safety and security, Okay, and so then you can imagine how this works. Once all of a sudden our safety and security needs were met, what we thought would be enough isn't enough, and that drive kicked in, and that longing for more kicked in, and all of a sudden we wanted to belong, right? And none of this is unusual or bad, it's just an is. We have this desire to belong. We wanna know that we have a tribe, that we fit, that people see us and that we're known and that we can be who we are and kind of open ourselves up to other people. But once we belong, all of a sudden it's not enough to belong. We also need some status. We wanna be respected. We wanna be seen as premier in our field or we wanna be seen as good at something. We want the people who know us the most to think the highest about us. And once we meet all of these needs, Maslow says we finally reach our full potential. He actually calls it this really big flowery word. He says you achieve self-actualization. I don't know what that means, but we meet full potential is what that means to me. Like we finally become who we were meant to be, who we thought we were supposed to be. Now, if I were betting, I would imagine about 18 months ago, if you were to rewind the clock, you would say you might be here. You might say, hey, I'm actually functioning fully as who I am. Maybe you were here. Maybe you finally achieved that promotion at work or your family was recognizing you for your talents or you were finally accomplishing what you thought you should accomplish at school. Things were going well. You had some status. You belonged. Maybe you would say you had arrived. I don't, I don't know. But I bet you were living more up here, not down here. And then the whole world changed. And everything kind of got knocked out from underneath us and every single one of us slid down this ladder. Some of you actually experienced this in real terms, like your family fell apart or you lost that job that was so much wrapped up into kind of your identity and who you were or your whole job like mine, your whole job shifted. 
For me, I wrestled with this because for me, so much of who I am, whether right or wrong, was wrapped up in this gathering. We had the opportunity to be together every single week and this room would be filled and there would be people all over and life in the hallways and then you would leave this building and go do amazing things and all of a sudden, I got to talk to this little bitty camera and I couldn't see faces and I couldn't interact with people. And it felt like, man, I didn't have this. I didn't know if I belonged. And I was kind of clinging to things like safety and security. And all of a sudden we all just fell back down here. And when I look at this, I'm reminded of this childhood game that we all used to play. And I have to be honest, I despise this game now, but uh, it's a game we all played. It's called Shoots and Ladders. And the reason I despise this game is because you would work so hard to get all the way to the top. And then through no fault of your own, you would land on the wrong square and you would slide down the longest chute you've ever seen and you would find yourself all the way back down at the bottom. And you would be sitting around this board game with your friends or your family and you'd be kind of looking up at everybody thinking, I'm never gonna get back. Like I'm stuck, there's no point even playing. I've lost all of that I had accomplished and I feel like I've just slid all the way back down and it was horrible. And as horrible as that is for a child playing a game, when we experience that fall here in adulthood, in real life, it's way, way worse, isn't it? And all of a sudden, when these things start getting stripped away from us and we find ourselves clinging to these basic needs that we thought we had moved past, we feel like we're stuck. We feel like we're back at the bottom and we wonder, will we ever get back to where we were? what if I told you we can? In fact, what if I told you it's better than we can just get back? What if I told you you didn't actually have to start over? Even better than that, what if I told you all of this, all of the circumstances of life didn't have to control you and that you and I and everybody could live a fulfilling, meaningful life completely separated from the shoots and the ladders that we're climbing and the circumstances that we're experiencing? What if I told you your life couldn't just be better, but it could be better than ever? And what if I told you that's not just fancy preacher talk? Like it could actually happen. It doesn't have to be something that a preacher would or should or is supposed to just say. And to do that, I wanna take you way back in time, thousands of years ago to the time when Jesus and his disciples were walking around on the earth. And I gotta kinda give you a little bit of context to kinda help you understand where we're going to set all this up. But we're gonna look at a time in the life of Jesus when he completely inserts himself into somebody's story who's living way down here, who's wondering if they will ever matter, who's wondering if they could ever belong, who has given up on the idea that they would have status, much less that they could be fully who they were created to be, not even sure they were created to be anything. So to do that, we're gonna go all the way back to the New Testament gospel of John. John was a good friend of Jesus. He's known as one of the disciples. He walked around with Jesus and he recorded the uh, life events of Jesus so that we could see them years and years and years later. And so John tells us of this time when Jesus and all of the disciples are hanging out at this festival that uh, the Jewish people are having 
kind of right there in, um, in Israel. And it's this incredible, incredible festival. It's actually the third of like three festivals in a row. So by the time we get to this festival, the people are pretty lit. Things are kind of wild and it's pretty out of control. It's a party in the streets. The festival is called the Festival of Shelters because it celebrated the time when Israel would travel around in the wilderness and God would provide for them even though they were living in these man-made shelters. And so for like a week at a time, they would, they would spend in these shelters at this festival, just partying, celebrating, reminiscing about how great God was, and everybody was invited. Well, almost everybody, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But the like core part of this festival, kind of the biggest deal of the whole festival, the piece de resistance, if you will, of this festival was this water ritual. And it's a little bizarre. You'd have to go read about it. I don't have time to explain it all. But basically, the priest would walk out to this pool called the Pool of Siloam, right there by the temple, And this uh, priest would perform this water ritual that would remind every single person of the time when Moses struck a rock, water sprung forth from the rock, God provided, it was amazing, and the people would celebrate. Well, right as this moment's about to happen, Jesus walks out and literally hijacks the entire festival. He walks out to the pool and he screams out something you've probably heard before, but maybe didn't know the whole context. He screams out, hey, are you thirsty? Hey, you guys are gathered around water. You think water's a really big deal? Like, hey, are you thirsty? Well, turn away from the pool and come to me. Like, if anybody's actually thirsty, I'll give you something to drink. You can drink from me and you'll never be thirsty again. And he's literally appropriating sacred Hebrew history, religion, and tradition. And then he just drops the mic. He turns around and he walks right out of that festival. And he walks right to where all the people who weren't allowed are hanging out. So they said everybody was invited, but everybody wasn't really invited. You see, if you had some kind of abnormality, if you had some kind of birth defect, if you weren't right in the eyes of the people who got to determine what right was, you couldn't come into the festival. So for instance, if you were blind or if you were deaf, they thought something was wrong with you because they thought you had disobeyed God in some way. And so ultimately, the reason you were the way you were is because God was punishing you. And if it wasn't your fault, then it had to be your parents' fault. And so those people weren't allowed into the festival. So Jesus leaves this pool, walks right out. And John says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why? Why was this man born blind? Here it is. Was it because of his own sins or was it because of the sins of his parents? You see, basically, they're looking at this guy and they're thinking, hey, this guy's living here at the bottom. He's at the bottom of the pyramid. He'll never hope for more than than food or shelter, maybe a little bit of safety and security, but he doesn't matter. He's insignificant. And ultimately, the question behind their question is, hey, how do I not become like this person? How do I not become him? And what's really fascinating to me and a little bit ironic is like the man's blind, not deaf. So he can hear. (laughs) And they're asking the question right in front of him. So they clearly don't even care about him. And all of this seems so interesting, but like interesting to us and so bizarre to us, but like they don't care about this guy. They've, They've literally flattened this guy into this theological issue about what happens to people and why does it happen and how can we keep it from happening to us. And they've basically determined this guy must have done something wrong. And I know for us, it seems so barbaric on this side of history, right? Like we would never actually say something like that out loud. 
But so many times, our behaviors are determined by beliefs that are very similar to this. So let's just make it personal for a second. So many times, something bad happens to us. And our first thought is, what have I done? Like, is God now opposed to me? Is God now against me? Have I messed up? Or you do something that you feel like is unfit or unright, and you're filled with shame, and you're filled with guilt. And I've seen people literally walk away from faith. I've seen people turn their backs on their faith communities because they feel like they no longer belong or are no longer welcome because of something that they've done. And I love how Jesus responds. Look at what he says. He says, it was not because of his sins, nor his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. You have to imagine, this is so far from what they thought was gonna happen. You have to imagine, they're, they're, they're so bewildered, these disciples are so confused, they're like, wait a minute, what? Like, Jesus, are you telling me that the power of God can be shown forth in, in weakness? Wait, wait a minute, Jesus, are you saying that, that God can turn this that is bad into something that is good? And Jesus is like, hey, look, I want you to understand your question is completely wrong and I'm not gonna be wrapped up in this like mindless, senseless debates like that. Like God is up to something. This man is blind, yes. And God can show his power even in his blindness. God can show his power even when the feet have been knocked out from underneath you and you feel like life is never gonna make sense again. God can show his power even in that thing you hope nobody ever finds out or that thought that you have that you hope nobody ever knows you think that way. And then in classic Jesus fashion, he just moves on. He says, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? This doesn't have anything to do with what we were just talking about. And apparently he's just done with the conversation because Jesus just moves on. And if you were there, what you would have seen is Jesus he knelt down and he grabbed a handful of dirt and dust and sticks and gross mess out of the street. He picks it up and he puts it in his hands and he begins to spit into his hands. It's disgusting, it is so nasty and the disciples are like, what is happening here? And I think everybody's starting to figure out what's about to happen and they're like, should we tell the blind man? Because the blind man has no idea what's going on. He's just hearing these noises and this confusion and Jesus continues to spit in his hands and he works it all together into this mud and spits slurry and then he walks closer to the disciples and the disciples are like, oh no, he's not going to. And he walks right up to the blind man and he takes his nasty spit and mud and he wipes it all over the face of the blind man. And he takes the mud and he starts caking it into the sockets of his eyes that have never worked properly. And he's filling his face with mud. And everybody's completely grossed out and the blind man is completely caught off guard. And then Jesus looks at him and says, hey, now I want you to do something. I want you to break into that festival that wouldn't let you in. And we have no idea how. He just, he says, hey, I want you to go and I want you to break in. I don't know if it's like a diehard moment, like if this is Rambo, I don't know how he gets in, but he breaks into this festival that would not let him in. He gets inside and Jesus says, and then once you're inside, I want you to go to that pool. I want you to go to that pool that they think is such a big deal. I want you to go to that most sacred, holy pool. And man, I want you to take my spit and my mud and your dirt and your filth, and I want you to roll in that pool, and I want you to take a bath like you've never taken a bath before, and then once you do that, I want you to come back, and I want you to find me. So apparently, the man does, because John says the man went, 
He got in somehow, got all the way into the festival. He washed, he got all the way into the pool and he came back and he is seeing. And as you can imagine, all heck breaks loose. I mean, chaos fills the streets. The religious leaders are trying to figure out who is this man that is bathing in our pool? What is going on? They call him in for questioning. He mentions the name Jesus. They lose it because they can't stand Jesus. All of a sudden, he's like, hey, look, I can see. They're like, no, you can't. Obviously, you could see all along. You must be a faker. They question him. They don't like his answers, so they send him on his way. They bring his parents in. His parents like virtually disowned this guy. They're like, I don't know, like he's kind of crazy. Like, I don't know what he's talking about. We weren't a part of this, that's up to him. So they bring him back. They start asking him theology questions. They start putting him like really to it and they don't like anything this guy is saying. And this guy is just like, man, I don't know. I don't know, I can see, I can see. And then what he says next, like I, it's like my favorite thing in all of scripture. And if you are watching online and you've tuned out for a second or you're sitting here in the room and you've kind of tuned out or you're sitting at home or right here and you're one of these people and you're just like, man, I have so many questions about faith and there seem to be so little answers and I feel like my faith is holding on by a thread and I feel like there's so many things I don't fully get. I wanna invite you to tune back in for just a second because what he says next is so refreshing. Into the face of his accusers, into the face of hostility, He looks at these people and he says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who Jesus is. That's your job. I don't have my theology figured out. I don't have my soteriology figured out. I don't have my eschatology figured out. I don't know what happens after I die. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's the son of God. I don't know if he is God. I don't know how that works. I don't know who he is. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't. No, that's for you to figure out. But I know this, I was blind and now I can see. Guys, I have no idea who he is. I have no idea what he claims to be. I have no idea. You guys go figure that out. All I know is I couldn't see and now I can and that is good enough for me. Well, you can imagine by now because you're kind of getting an idea of what these people are like. And it wasn't good enough for them. So this man who felt like he was finally getting somewhere, they throw him back out and they deem him unworthy and say, you're still not welcome here. So I read all this and I think to myself, I'm like, well, what is Jesus doing? Like, why is he going to all this trouble? Why would he drag this man into this drama? This guy didn't ask for any of this. He was figuring out how to navigate his life. Why is he appropriating and degrading and literally trampling all over sacred Hebrew tradition? What is he up to? Jesus, kind of knowing that these are the thoughts that everybody is having, ends all the arguments and ends all the discussions by simply saying, I entered this world to give sight to the blind and to show those who think that they see that they are the ones who are blind. And then fast forward a couple of verses later, he wraps up this thought and he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, oh, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. See, what you and I have in common with that man, what all of history has in common together is that we're all looking for life. 
We are all looking for something that will let us know that we matter, that we're important, that we're significant, that we are seen and that we are understood and that we are heard. We're looking for life. And what Jesus ultimately said to him and what he would say to us is, I know you're looking for life, but the life you're looking for, oh, the life you're looking for isn't found where you're looking for life. Listen to me, I get it. You want better. You want a better life. I want a better life. I think we all want a better life. It's what the man in the story wanted. Like I told you, he wanted to know that he mattered. He wanted to know that somebody saw him, that he was significant, that he wouldn't live his entire life on the fringes. But here's the problem. Every single one of us are looking for life, but we're all trying to find that elusive better life in all the wrong places. Every single one of us, we think this job, finally this job, or we think this career, or we think this marriage, or we think, man, this cause, this is the cause that I'm finally gonna get behind that's gonna change things for me. This cause, this job, this marriage, this career, this relationship, this is the thing that's gonna help me fully be who I was intended to be. I'm gonna finally have all of my needs met. I'm gonna finally reach this like full elusive potential. But Jesus looking forward at us and looking at all of humanity would say what we ultimately know deep down. It's never enough. There's never enough money. There's never a good enough job. There's never a great enough relationship. There's never a cause that is worthy enough. It's all just simply climbing another ladder only to get to the top of some pyramid that we've built up in our mind, only to have it all knocked out from underneath us and slide down some chute all the way back down to the bottom. Because the life you're looking for and the life I'm looking for, well, it exists, but it isn't found where you're looking for life. Jesus, I believe, showed that blind man, and I think he wants to show you that there is something better. There is something that moves so far beyond simply trying to satisfy the desires of our heart, simply trying to satisfy the desires of our mind. There's something that is bigger and better than just another coping mechanism to help us get through and to help us cope with the things of life. There's something that we can all achieve that doesn't have to hold us slave to our reputation, to our relationships, to our job, even to our standard of living. And what's so great about this something is that all of that is true while it doesn't exclude and it doesn't marginalize, and it doesn't push people out, and it recognizes people for their intrinsic value. But here's the thing. It's not found in religion. It's certainly not found in the rat race that we're all caught up in. It's not in the popularity game. It's not in a marriage change. It's not in a career change. It's not in a bank account. It's not in something you can drive. The better life you are looking for is not anywhere you're looking for. It's actually in the last place that most of us are willing look. Because the better life, the life that is better than ever, is only found in Jesus, whose sole desire for you and for me is that your life would be better, that it would be full, that it would have more meaning, that it would have a better purpose. And I want to be really clear about this because I think this is where this stuff gets all twisted in our minds and we start to try to make it something that it's not. I'm not saying that better is easier. I'm not saying that better is less complicated. I'm not saying that better means more money than ever or a bigger house than ever or a better car than ever. I'm not saying you can trade one wife for another and have a better wife or have a better marriage or get a better husband out of this. I'm not saying you can turn to Jesus and all of a sudden you're just gonna have better grades because you decided that you wanted something to be better. That's not the promise. The promise 
If you really look at it, the promise is for a life that is better than ever. A life that is filled with better than you could ever imagine because it has better meaning, because it has better purpose, because it is filled with better hope, and you have a better direction. I am more convinced than ever that Jesus is not interested in changing you, coercing you, or converting you. He's interested in healing you. He's interested in restoring you. He's interested in helping and renewing you. It's why I'm more convinced than ever that when you lean into Jesus and you decide to follow him, you can walk right back into that same job tomorrow with that same difficult boss who rides you no matter how good you do, no matter how bad you do, they're always on you, it's never good enough, and you can have confidence and you can hold your head high because you know you are seen by the one who has given you value and who understands you at your best and who takes you at your worst. It's why you can sit in the doctor's office and cling to the hand of the person that you love most in this entire world And you can receive that report that you prayed you would never, ever receive. And you can still have joy because you know that your value is not found in a piece of paper that a doctor gives to you, but your value is found in the one who created you and who made you and who understands every single part of you. So I am convinced you can sit at that kitchen table alone after he walked out with the lights off because you can't even afford the power bill, you're not even sure where the next meal is gonna come from, much less pay for the house that you're living in. And you can still have joy because you know that the God of abundance sees you and he knows you and he created you and he made you and he cares about you. And the thing that I think is the most important part of this and the best part of the whole thing is that he doesn't do this from afar. He doesn't do this as some distant creator who isn't interested in life or your life. The promise is better than ever because God isn't found in some exclusive festival for the uber-religious and the do-gooders and the spotless record people, but he's outside the gates. He's outside the walls with you and with me. And I don't know about you, but as I think about this next season in the life of our church, that's the kind of church I want us to be. That's the kind of people I want us to be. The kind of people that say, hey, you don't have to wait out there to figure it out. Hey, what are you doing out there? I know you have questions. I know you have doubts. I know you don't have any answers. You don't have to wait out there. You can come in here. You don't have to leave the church to wrestle with your faith. I know you don't have it all figured out. I know there's lots of things that are bothering you, but hey, you don't have to go outside to do that. You can come inside. We wanna be a safe place where you can wrestle with your faith because you know what? That's better. That's better. That's the kind of church that God designed when he dreamed up this movement that we're a part of. You see, we want to be the kind of people that are not necessarily defined by just the correctness of our beliefs, but we're defined by how well we love. How well we love our enemies, how well we love our neighbors, how well we love the people who are nothing like us, and even the people who don't like us. We want to be defined not by how many people we can coerce, Not by how many people we can convert, by how many people we can help, by how many people we can renew and restore and heal. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to be a part of, don't you? Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want that for your friends, for your marriage? I mean, because the alternative is to just keep playing shoots and ladders on this thing. 
keep being controlled by your circumstances, to keep being controlled by the things that are happening to us and around us as we slide back down the ladder wondering if we matter. So in this next season in the life of our church, as we head out into a future that feels more unknown than ever, as we relaunch this incredible movement in this city, I wanna encourage you to do two things with me. The first thing is I want to encourage you to lean into Jesus. And when I say lean into Jesus, what I mean is I wanna encourage you to follow Jesus. And I know some of you are like, hey, I've never done that before. I don't even know what that looks like. That's great. You're in the right place. You're in the perfect place. Our whole mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus, even when you don't know, like especially when you don't know, when you have more questions than you have answers. Don't walk away from Jesus just because you have questions. Lean in, follow Jesus. Even when life doesn't make sense and it feels like you're at the bottom of another chute and it feels like your legs have been kicked out from underneath you, especially then, lean in. Don't turn away. Don't walk away just because it got difficult. Lean into Jesus, follow him. And then the second thing I want to encourage you to do, stay connected to this community. Stay connected to this community. When everything is pulling at you to disconnect from a faith community, stay connected to this community. We really do believe, you've heard Andy say this over and over and over again, we really do believe that following Jesus will make life better and make you better at life. But I have to be honest, I think that that happens best within the context of a safe faith community who is willing to wrap their arms around you and say, hey, you can ask that question here. Hey, you can struggle with that out loud here. Lean into Jesus and stay connected to this community. Because I believe, I really do believe this. I believe that there is a better way to live than simply working and climbing and striving to find meaning and joy and hope and peace only to have it kicked out from underneath you every time something changes. So come on, come on. Where are you looking for life? Where are you turning for life? Because I really do believe this. I believe that your life, I believe that my life, this is the greatest hope of my life. I believe that our lives can be better I believe they can be better than ever when we follow Jesus. I'd love to pray for you, and I'll see you again next week. Father, God, you are the God of abundance. You see us, you know us intimately, more so than we probably even know ourselves. God, you know what it's like for us to be in this game that never ends of shoots and ladders up and down, having to try to get our needs met only to have our needs taken away from us once again. So God, may we learn to hand all that over to you. May we learn to follow you, to pursue hard after you. God, may we do that in the context of an incredibly safe community that is pulling for us, inspiring us to be like your son. God, and when we do that, I believe in this promise that you will give us a life that is better than we could have ever imagined. We're hoping for that. We are clinging to that promise, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are fantastic. See you right back here next Sunday. You're dismissed.